Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. As always, I am your host with the Holla French Toast, Freddie Carlson, and today we have another very special edition of the podcast for you, the final episode of 2023. That's right, at the end of another year and another great content uh, sharing broadcast coming to you. Unfortunately, my good friend on the other side of the microphone and my co-host Angelo Belly couldn't be with us today. He's got something going on, but we send Angelo our love, and together we'd like to wish everyone a happy uh, holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, we're very much excited to be back in 2024. But I'm not alone today. I got three very good friends to the pod re- uh, joining us once again, returning. We have recurring guests, and of course, you'll all know them very well by now. First and foremost, we have our good buddy, Adam. Say hello to the people, Adam. Hello to the millions of people who watch this show. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> and now, next up, we have <laughs> we have our, our good friend, Evan. Say hello to everybody, Evan. Hi, Mom. And then, finally, last but not least, we have our good friend Austin uh, Austin Rapid Waters. (laughs) Say hello to the people, Austin. What the fuck? I don't know what's going on with me today. I'm sorry, guys. My my brain is moving too fast. But anyway, welcome back. And today, as we tend to do at the end of every year, we're going to take a look back at a wonderful year in wrestling. 2023 was arguably one of, if not the most pivotal years in recent memory and in probably at least the last decade for sure for professional wrestling as a whole. But we can go into we're going to go into depth in a lot of different places. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about uh, our favorite matches and shows uh, some of our favorite superstars, who we thought did really well, who we think can have some improvement, who has been slept on, who could be you know, a, a dark horse pick for next year. A lot of great conversations going to be had between the four of us tonight. I know we got a lot of great things we want to talk about. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of great wrestling and great moments, probably a little bit of stuff that we would hope would be have been better, and things that we can look forward to in the new year. I'm very excited to do this. Uh, again, it was a wonderful year in wrestling. I think we can all say it was probably one of the best we've seen as wrestling fans in our lifetimes, and hopefully that continues as we go forward into the new year with some really great content that uh, every company, uh, minus the NWA, is pr- producing every single week. So uh, we're going to get into it now, <clears throat> and uh, I wanted to go to you guys. What do you guys think we should talk about first? You want to talk about... Some of our favorite wrestlers and superstars of the year who we think really shined. Think that's a good place to start? I think let's talk about Tyrus for just a little bit. (laughs) So our favorite wrestlers of the year. Uh, Let's go to you, Adam. Adam, what do you think? So who was some uh, guys or girls who you thought this year really shined in a way that... uh, was impressive to you and it can be from any promotion any company wwe aew new japan impact uh yeah anywhere what do you got okay so i got three that immediately spring to mind the first one obviously being the ring general gunther because as we've seen after a really solid 2022 he immediately just went let's do that but better obviously he starts out the year going from one to lasting to the final two in the royal rumble making it very believable that he would win and that all throughout the year he would have incredible intercontinental title defenses really elevating the title to such a level that it hasn't seen in a very long time and i feel like he's one of the more premier spots of raw he gets a lot of tv time every match he does is usually the match of the night 
And it's really just a testament to how much of a hard worker he is. And I think the fans getting to see that showcase on a high level, which is really superb. Furthermore, the second one is uh, the Mad Dragon Ilya Dragunov. I feel like now people are finally starting to catch onto the wave that Dragunov is one of, if not the best wrestler in the company. There are a couple other people, but that's neither here nor there. Especially after, you know, getting put into the NXT title scene, eventually capturing the title. And it's just he comes with such a intensity that you can't really replicate. There's really nobody who has, is unique as Ilya Dragunov. And I think that considering at the, at the level he's like you know performing at now, it's only going to increase. And it was a really good year for him. And as a tertiary spot, we have Dirty Dom, Dominic Mysterio. And I would say Dirty Dom is one of the more impressive ones because if you just look how much just, I guess, heat he gets from the crowd just on a nightly basis, it's just actually insane. Especially when you consider like him prior to the Judgment Day was really just glad to be here, slap happy, hey, I'm Rey Mysterio's son, and really transform that into just a form of nepotism entitlement that really just oozes just, you know, that Guerrero-like charisma, even though allegedly he isn't Eddie's son, but, you know, <laughs> that remains to be seen, especially with this partnership with uh, Rhea Ripley. It's just, if you look at the social media engagements, Dominic Mysterio is up there. If you look at someone who's going to carry the feud company in a couple of years as like a very slimy heel, it's going to be Dominic Mysterio because he's gotten really good ever since he joined the Judgment Day. And that's like only a year and a couple months ago. You know, mm-hmm. I, I foresee that within a couple of years, he's going to win money in the bank and cash in to a chorus of booze. And we're all going to eat it up because we are all marks. OK, so, yeah, that's just my main top three off the top of the head. No, I think those are all three really, <clears throat> really interesting and uh, dynamic choices. I especially like the Dragunov um, acknowledgement because Ilya has really um, come into his own this year. We've seen, you know, glimpses of his success over the years with his matches against uh, Walter, now known as Gunther, uh, you know, specifically. But winning the NXT title and becoming a main name. Uh, an NXT has really been a big thing for him. And um, he's probably not someone that would have popped into my head as the first choice, but I really like his inclusion in this conversation because he's had a really great year, and I think it's only up from here for him. So that's a great, great uh, point as well. Uh, Evan, switch it over to you now. Who do you got some of your uh, top stars uh, in the in the wrestling world this year? So I wrote down five before this, and then Adam decided to name the top three already. <laughs> so that's great. Um, I did actually have Gunther, Ilya, and Dom on there, but I also put Tiffany Stratton because mm-hmm. the boys know it's always Tiffy time with the club chat. Um, she's had a great God year, damn. I feel like. She's so she's probably one of the most improved like superstars from NXT, like starting with no experience to someone who could very well be main eventing WrestleMania has come like three years from now um i think she's good as a heel and she's doing a great job at being irritating like i tried watching nxt with my father and he could not stand tiffany stratton so i was like okay he's doing she's doing her job thank you and then the other superstar i had written down was jay uso he's been doing great along on by himself um He's been doing some great matches with Roman, 
with uh, whenever he was teaming up with Jimmy. Like that WrestleMania main event on night one was amazing. I love that match so much. Yeah, I think I think it's been a great year for Jay. I'm looking forward to see what happens next year for him. Like it's crazy. I've been doing a Royal Rumble rewatch for the past couple days, and I watched Royal Rumble 2012. He came out to a sea of quietness. Nobody reacted really. And now he's one of the most over people in those 10 years. He's really grown and I'm very excited to see his future. Oh yeah. Jay Uso had a glimpse of that uh, single success in 2020. And, uh, you know, obviously he probably could have grown to some levels of success that year. And then Jimmy came back and they ended up entering back into the tag division, but it has been so refreshing to see, Great character work from both guys, honestly. I mean, Jimmy's a little bit more confusing, um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, both guys have really come into their own as singles guys, and a potential singles match between the two is only going to be better come uh, uh, WrestleMania next year in Philly. So exciting, exciting times for both of those guys, and especially Jay, who's had a great year. He's challenged for both uh, the uh, Undisputed Universal title and the World Heavyweight title in the last few months, which how many uh, career-long tag team guys can say they challenged for two world, two different world championships in the course of three or four months? It's pretty cool to see that. So, uh, big year for Jay. Uh, before I give mine, of course, we're going to go over to our good friend Austin. Austin, what do you got? Yeah, I had I had Jay Uso at the top of my list as well. Um, I'll just reiterate quickly with him, just how insane it is the year he's had and um, just becoming his own person. Not, you know, he's he's never and this has been the same this way for probably three years now. But he will he will never ever be confused for Jimmy again. You know, these two have become so different in the best of ways. Jimmy too. I mean. Jimmy is uh, struggling a little bit with how SmackDown uh, writers are doing him right now, but I think he's going to have a breakout year in 2024 once they really kick off this feud as well. Um, but yeah, Jey Uso, I mean, I, I think he's really over with the crowd, and I think that's because of all the hard work he's been putting in this year. Um, but to throw a couple different names in the ring, I'll start off with the uh, current world heavyweight champion, Seth Rollins. I mean, I've always been a fan of Rollins ever since his architect days from 2014 up until now. And, you know, his world title runs have been good pretty consistently. I mean, if they've had the time to flourish, I think they've been good, but this world title run that he's been on right now, I mean, he has been redefining what it means to be a world champion. And I don't think enough people are actually giving him credit for that. You know, I mean, he is, defending constantly and putting on really good matches as well. Um, so he's definitely up there for me as well. Um, another person I want to point out is actually an AEW, uh, Swerve Strickland. I mean, talk about someone who, you know, probably two years ago now, I think was released from WWE, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, he hasn't always, at least in WWE. I mean, he had a couple of shots in NXT, but I mean, he was never really, um, able to reach the levels of success that he's having right now, especially in the uh, Continental Classic, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, I watched that Texas Death Match with Hangman Adam Page and instantly saw, I mean, I was already a fan, but I instantly saw that he is a star, bona fide, undeniable star. And um, 
I kind of hope he wins the whole Continental Classic, but that's just me being a little selfish there. Um, and then one other person I want to quickly point out is Rhea Ripley. I mean, talk about someone who has re- <laughs> completely redefined the women's division all, like around her. You know, she obviously was a very big player in the women's division even two years ago when she won the Raw Women's Title at WrestleMania 37. But just this run that she's been on has been completely game changing, and I really don't think there's anyone right now that's on her level maybe with the exception of a couple people and i am just so stoked for what she's doing in judgment day and on her own for sure well you know what they say mommy's always on top <clears throat> but anyway um yeah no swerve strickland is is a is a great is a great one and um you know i'll give you a hot take right here but i think swerve strickland will be the next AEW world champion i think he dethrones mjf and I'm not, I really have very little doubt in my mind about that. Swerve is uh, a hot commodity. He is on the rise. The fans are going nuts for him. And I think he's going to get the same kind of a situ into a same kind of situation that MJF found himself in, where he was so good at being bad that he became a babyface because he was so good at being bad. And, you know, and now I want to pivot to my guys. And the first person I want to bring up is MJF. And I feel like, you know, we can't be remiss and think, well, MJF has been world champion since November of 2022 now. So we're talking over a year and it, it almost seems like it's gone under the radar. And now normally you would think, Hey, well, the world champion has been champion for a year and it almost seems like it hasn't been. And maybe the title's forgotten about. No, I think that's actually the opposite. MJF is the star of AEW television. Now people are paying to see him. People want to know what he's going to do next. His stories have tended to be the most entertaining, the most enthralling night in and night out, week in and week out. And something with MJF that happened this year that I don't think anyone ever expected was seamlessly, flawlessly, and almost overnight, he went from the most hated, despised heel in the business to the most beloved and popular babyface in AEW and one of them, if not overall in the entire business he became the biggest scumbag and the first time i think anyone's ever chanted he's our scumbag and loved him for it and that's a testament to how good he is how hard he's worked and how much effort he's put into this reign he has not phoned it in he has not shown up to work and just did a half-assed job in the ring with some guys that he probably shouldn't have hell i refer to wrestle dream He wrestled a two-on-one handicap match against the righteous of all teams, and he put in a shift that night. He could have phoned it in, and he didn't. I watched that match, and he put in a shift. So, goes to show, MJF is a star. He has worked his ass off this year, specifically in the second half of the year. He's working twice a night sometimes. He's wrestling everybody. He's one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Champions. He's had the hottest story going with with Adam Cole, and then with uh, this whole Devil storyline. You know, I think MJF is AEW's MVP without question. And, you know, it's almost that time for the bidding war of 2024. We've always said, here it is. It's about two weeks away from now. What's going to happen? Is MJF going to stay in AEW? Is he going to head over to WWE? I think he stays where he's at. But I think he, you know, he won't be champion much longer. But I think he stays where he's at and he has a lot more years to grow in AEW. And another guy I want to bring up, heading back over to WWE now, is... uh, LA Knight. 
And, you know, L.A. Knight is arguably their fastest rising star. No pun intended on their nickname for him. But, uh, you know, L.A. Knight quickly became the, uh, the, 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 the face of SmackDown in a time where Roman Reigns was absent for much of that time. You know, uh, I, I really... I really didn't even notice it myself, you know, you know, in terms of tuning in until Money in the Bank in London. And when he got to London and that place erupted when he came down that aisle, you almost could tell like something special is happening here. It felt very similar to the kinds of reactions that Sami Zayn was getting earlier in 2023 and Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston were getting years and years ago during their runs. Um, but what I like what WWE has done with LA Knight is this slow transition to the main event spot and what the test of that was was his match with roman reigns at crown jewel you can't tell me that anybody would have walked in to the uh, day one of 2023 and said yeah la knight's gonna get a singles championship main event match against roman reigns on pay-per-view i don't think anybody ever imagined that happening but it did and it was a really good match the finish was typical bloodline bs but la knight's still over He's still madly popular, and he's got such a high ceiling in this coming year and beyond, and he'll be world champion one day. And this slow burn build, which has allowed the fans to see more of his character, to see more development, LA Knight's really got a high ceiling, and I'm really looking forward to what he's going to be doing in 2024, specifically with a likely match against Logan Paul at WrestleMania. I'm very excited for that, so we will have to see exactly what goes down uh with him but yeah those are two guys i wanted to spotlight all of the people we've mentioned um you know really key players this year breakout years for a lot of people uh but you know overall it's been a really great year for for everybody who we named uh on in this discussion so anybody else you guys want to spotlight before we move on to the next topic keep it rolling yeah just one more person yep all right, yeah, just one more person that I like to highlight is um, Tetsuya Naito. And I feel like this went under a lot of people's radar because I feel like a lot of people haven't been really watching New Japan this year because all the hardcore fans who used to watch New Japan now watch AEW. But just, just for some little insight as the resident New Japan expert here is that uh, Tetsuya Naito won the G1 Climax this year, right? Uh, he defeated Kazuchika Okada in the finals, and he's poised to face Sonata at Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th, right? But what I find interesting is that Tetsuya Naito finds himself in a very similar predicament that Hiroshi Tanahashi found himself after winning the G1 Climax in 2018. Whereas, like, you know, after so many, like, for, for you know, for reference, you know, Naito has a bit of a, had, had uh, wow, has had a bit of a rough year, because, you know, Sonata leaves um, Los Ingobernables and he's kind of been floundering. And now it's kind of like his last shot. And it's very, if you look at it from a very storytelling perspective, it's kind of it's kind of like the crescendo to Naito's career where this is like his last shot. And I feel like if you look at the domestic Japanese audience, he his popularity is like a, at a John Cena levels at this point. And it's really just really, really inspiring to see. So that's just like my honorable mention. And never a bad, never a bad time when you get to talk about Tensuya Naito. Uh, he's obviously great, and uh, I really do look forward to Wrestle Kingdom every year. Great way to start the year, uh, and I'm sure that's going to be a great match, uh, Sonata and Naito, uh, on January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. 
All right, so next up, we're going to kind of move into a uh, another area of discussion. And obviously, another thing that's hard to keep record of, only because of the sheer amount of wrestling that goes on um, in any given uh, in any given year, is um, the our favorite matches. Um, narrowing this down is next to impossible, because all of us, and anyone who's a big wrestling fan, spends... So many hours watching so many different matches th- throughout the course of the year, and it's hard to keep track of what's honestly the best. But uh, we obviously all have those that stick out to us, and I wanted to go through them. Um, so we're gonna kind of go in the reverse the reverse order that we did last time. Uh, I'm gonna start with you this time, Austin. If you're if you're ready, um, do you have any matches from any of the companies that we've talked about that's really stuck out to you as uh, some most memorable ones that you'll look back on a year or two from now and say, "Yeah, I definitely want to go back and rewatch that because it was so good." Well, funny enough, actually preparing for today, I rewatched the answer that comes to mind immediately when you ask this question. Um, Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn at Elimination Chamber. I rewatched that this afternoon because, my God, I mean, this story building up to that match, um, starting way back in the summer of 2022, leading up, climaxing with probably the biggest pop of the year still to this day, is when Sami hits Roman with the chair at the Royal Rumble. Um, That pop still, like, breaks my headphones when I watch that back. It's just so loud. And all those fans, you know, you're building to it, building to a building, and it finally happens. So actually coming into the match now, you've got the hometown crowd advantage, which is always a good thing in wrestling because those fans, typically in the States, they're going to be pretty loud. But when you've got the international crowds, I mean, my God, that place was rocking. And, you know, they were ready to see... Sammy win and unfortunately he didn't but man the story with that match even once the match began I timed it actually today and it took four minutes and 15 seconds before um the two of them even locked up to start the match they were just absorbing the energy from the crowd and feeling it with all of the FU Roman chants and <laughs> um stuff like that and so I felt like that match was really special and I still really enjoy it even today when I rewatched it um, and then I'll flip over to AEW and talk about a match that I'm sure ended up on probably all of your lists because it a little bit of recency bias, but Hangman Page versus Swerve, Swerve Strickland in that Texas death match. I mean, I'm not typically a fan of death matches, to be honest, especially like CZW matches with the light, um, like the light bulbs, the light tube things. And, uh, you know, just the, uber violence of those matches but i mean this match was so eloquently done with the violence and there were so many spots that i thought really you know elevated the match you know uh hangman page stapling his kid's artwork to swerve strickland's face and then like drinking the blood i thought like i've never seen this before in wrestling and there's not often times anymore where you can really say that but there were a lot of really cool firsts in that matchup and it felt really good to be a wrestling fan in that moment, seeing things that, you know, you hadn't seen in a long time or what have you. And, uh, that match probably as I'm still working on rewatching all of this year's matches, but that's probably up there as one of my only five star matches at the moment. Um, it's, it's up there. It's really good. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, 
and it, it is up there for me as well. Um, you know, I think I've rated, I think it was three matches this year as five stars, and that was one of the three. And, um, you know, that match was, we, we all know Hangman Page at this point. He's a star. He's one of the pinna- the main pinnacle points of AEW and uh, former world champion, you know, perennial contender. That was the coming out party in terms of being a successful wrestler as a main eventer for Swerve Strickland. And we already talked about it before, you know, how, how important that's going to be for him going forward and where we think of him and how highly we value it. But, you know, Swerve really showed something in that match. And I think it was exactly what WWE never gave him the chance to do, but everybody kind of always felt like he had within him. And I'm so glad that they were able to capitalize on it and hopefully they continue to do so because this is this is their window of opportunity with swerve and i don't want them to miss it so we'll have to see there but two really great matches two really great matches uh we'll go back to you again this time adam what do you got some of your memorable matches for the year um i think the most memorable match from this year is honestly it's it's out of all the great matches that have come out this year there's only one that should be it at number one on everyone's list, and that is Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus the Usos, WrestleMania Night One's main event. And because just from a pure storytelling perspective, it's like it. it but people like to say that pro wrestling has like magic, magical tendencies and magical qualities towards it, and this was just one of those moments. You know, even if you just look back at the entrance and just look at how Zayn and Owens just you know really just captured the moment of. Finally making it, both, more so Sami Zayn because Owens has already had that main event. But just, you know, two best friends in the main event of, of WrestleMania. It's like, you, you just can't write this stuff. You know what I mean? Especially with the fact that it's like the tag titles were in, held in such reverence for a company that traditionally doesn't really care about the tag titles. It's really just a crescendo of like, of just multiple, multiple storylines and just the ending, which is fantastic especially with the whole 2014 Sami Zayn versus Adrian Neville callback with like the zoom in on his face before he hits the third Haluva kick. It's like, even if you like watch it back now, it's just a very emotional match, you know, especially when, you know, you factor in the, the dynamic between the Usos and Sami Zayn prior to them, like, you know, turning on one another. It's just like, if, if I was to show somebody like one match, just in general of like, what it means to be a wrestling fan and what it means to like, you know, professional wrestling, that would be one of the matches I would show just for the pure, just emotion that was just, you know, being brought out between all four competitors and even the crowd itself. Yeah, that match was absolutely incredible. And, you know, talk a lot about Sami Zayn. And of course it was an amazing year for him. And uh, obviously both of you guys who've gone so far, have mentioned the Sami Zayn match, uh, in, in your top matches of the year. Uh, but think about Jay Uso for a second. And, and I feel like this is something that's been lost uh, in, in just, you know, the, the great year he's had. WWE has essentially a big five now, right? The Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Jay Uso competed in the main event match of four of those five shows this year. He main evented WrestleMania night one in that tag title match alongside Jimmy against Sammy and Kevin Owens. Then he main evented Money in the Bank in the tag team match, uh, him and Jimmy versus Roman and Solo in the uh, the Tribal War match, whatever they called it. Uh, and then they had uh, 
Jay versus Roman in the main event of SummerSlam Tribal Combat for the Universal title. And then he was in war games against the Judgment Day at Survivor Series. So four out of the five big format pay-per-views main evented by Jay Uso. And he was standing in the ring and a focal point of the final moments of the Royal Rumble, walking out after Sammy turned on the bloodline and not being a part of the beatdown on Sammy. So Jay's had one hell of a year. I mean, Jay Uso has been involved in the in the main event or closing segment of all five big five pay-per-views this year. Incredible to say something like that. And I feel like that's something that we can't lose sight of either amidst all the, the great things that we've seen. Uh, Evan, what do you got for your most memorable matches of 2023? Two of them came to mind. One of them was Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley mm-hmm. um, at WrestleMania as well, where I did not have any hype going into that match whatsoever. And I think I kind of share that with a lot of people is it's another Charlotte main event. We, we don't want to see her again in the title match, but of course she's the champion, so she has to bring it in. I really thought that they were going to go with uh, Rhea versus Bianca for this year, but yep. when they didn't, I was I was kind of disappointed because I've been I've been really wanting to see that one at Mania, but since they didn't, I was like, okay, I guess we'll see what happens. And they really blew me away. I did not think that Charlotte was going to go to the level that she went to at Mania because they really stole the show. And, well, they stole the show up until that point anyways, because obviously Sammy and Kevin versus the Usos was right after that. But, like, some of those hits and bumps were, like, they looked painful. Like, I, I was kind of concerned at some some points. I'm pretty sure there was a spot where I think Charlotte got dropped on her head or something like that, or at least it looked like it. And... yeah. Let's see. The top rope riptide was cool. It was a good moment for Rhea to get that big win. And the other match is actually on night two. It's a match that I feel like people tend to overlook because of the ending. And it's Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns. I That was such a fun match for me up until the end anyways. Oof. Because, I mean, we have all those emotions building up between not even really between Roman and Cody, but between Cody and Paul Heyman, like those promos leading up to it in the months before were amazing. Like I don't have cable, so I can't really watch raw, but you know, TikTok, you can watch people live stream on there. And I had to be watching those because that was intense stuff. I was so involved in that match from start to be start to end, even though, Solo Sokoa got involved, which was a really sad spot. I, I really thought they were trying to maybe do like a false finish type of thing. But the fact, yeah, the way that the match ended was a little bit disappointing. But had it ended even clean, I, I would have been much more okay with it. But besides that, one of my favorite matches of this year. Yeah. Um, uh I'll go. I'll go with the first one because that second one's a little bit tougher to discuss. Of course, uh, no. Rhea and Charlotte was up there for me, and in fact, I mentioned before that I only rated three matches this year as five stars, and and that's one of them actually. Um, Charlotte and Rhea 
really, really put on a match that not a single person expected to be good. And I think that's a testament to a lot of things. I think it's a testament to, first of all, they're two really talented workers. And you take everything else out of the equation, Charlotte's incessant uh, appearances in the world title picture and, you know, you know, countless main events and whatnot. And Rhea, you know, her title reign has been kind of flat since she won the title and blah, blah, blah. They're two really great workers who, when paired together, always had the promise of doing something great. And they hadn't really reached that potential yet. Um, but that night they did. And especially the second half of that match where it just kind of turned the dial up to 11 and just went balls to the wall. And it was incredible. Uh, and they rightfully deserve a five-star rating in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that, that to me is, is a great choice. Uh, so for me, I had a lot of different matches that kind of popped into my head in this, this kind of preparation period for this. Uh, a lot of the ones you guys have mentioned, um, are up there. The Swerve Hangman match, Rhea Charlotte, uh, Jimmy and Sa- uh, Jimmy and Jay versus Sammy and KO. Uh, but some for me that I think really stuck out um, might go a different direction in terms of like the the way that they went down and the competitors involved. Uh, for me, the first one that came into my mind was the triple threat match at WrestleMania Night Two for the uh, uh, Intercontinental Championship: Drew McIntyre versus Gunther versus Sheamus. And the old joke, you know, big meaty men slapping meat. Oh my God, you want you want the perfect example of the big meaty men slapping meat? I think that's the night the meat chant was born. And uh, my God, what a match! I mean, you talk about three guys who just hit so hard to the point where you can genuinely feel it in your bones, feel it in your in your soul because they're just hitting so hard and so believable. That is my highest rated match of the year, my favorite match of the year, and uh, I, I don't think anything could have topped it really uh, after that night. And you know, having seen obviously what's come since, some really really good work from a lot of guys and girls who've come after the fact. But uh, that one was the the cream of the crop in my opinion. But to give a couple other uh, alternatives, I know we've talked a lot about WWE. I do want to shed a little light on AEW. I feel like they had some really great content as well. Uh, obviously, we talked about Swerve Hangman, but another one that I really think people need to uh, give the time uh, of day to is, and, and this might come as a surprise to you guys, uh, John Moxley versus Orange Cassidy at All Out in September. The main event of All Out for the International Championship and in my opinion, the night that Orange Cassidy solidified himself as a star in the business. He didn't win that match, and I don't think anybody expected him to going in, but man, that kid showed the world something different that night. And it was the culmination of his 11-month championship reign where he had like 32 defenses successfully before finally losing the title. There, There's not a lot of guys or girls in this business who can go out there for 11 consecutive months you're talking out of 11 months, that's what, 48 weeks? He defended that championship 33 times, counting his defense and loss to John Moxley in 11 months, in, in, in 48 weeks. How many champions have done that? And that's on televised broadcasts. That's not house shows or anything. That's on national television, pay-per-view You know, on a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's out there, and he's working. And I really think that if you haven't seen that match, 
it's not a five-star classic, but it's one of those matches where you really want to see Cassidy come through and win. And he makes that believability so investive. I really love I really loved that match. Um, and then one final one uh, that might again come as a bit of a shock to people. Uh, going to payback in September. And Evan, I think you actually sent this in the chat while I was talking. Um, with a steel cage match between Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. And obviously that feud dragged on for way too long and had so many things that I don't think anybody really liked, but that match, (laughs) exactly. That match on that night was, uh, I mean, it's what you would expect between the generational clash of the greatest women's superstar of today against the greatest women's superstar of yesterday, so to speak, uh, two of the all time greats, uh, and Trish and Becky having that instant classic that they both deserve to have with one another because they're two greats, they're two goats. And, um, I think that, uh, that match really solidified it for them. Um, and, and, you know, really showed, uh, something special, um, in, uh, in what Becky has still is still able to do. And the fact that Trish having been away for so long can still go at such a high level when needed. Uh, so many important things with that. Uh, and I mean, I could go on, obviously. I mean, there's so many matches that we could talk about. Uh, I, I loved, uh, Sammy, uh, Sammy Zayn versus Reigns as well. <clears throat> I loved, uh, Sammy and Kevin Owens versus solo and, uh, Roman at night of champions. There's, um, you know, the, the Usos versus Solo and Roman. So there's so many great matches that we could talk about, but those are three of mine, uh, at least. And an honorable mention to the 60-minute Iron Man match uh, in February, or March, I should say, Revolution uh, MJF versus Brian Danielson because, of course, those two would have an instant classic and a banger. Uh, another great match. Go check it out if you can. <clears throat> Any of the matches you guys wanted to throw out there before we pivot again? Just quickly throwing it to Impact Wrestling, I want to throw out, um, first of all, Will Ospreay um, just steps into an Impact ring and just has a banger every time, but uh, Will Ospreay versus uh, Speedball Mike Bailey from Bound for Glory, as well as Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander on November 16th. I think they just put that on regular TV, but both of those matches were really spectacular, and um, not only showcased uh, Will Ospreay being an amazing talent, who I probably should have mentioned in the top wrestler category, but also how Impact is bouncing back, baby. Oh, yeah. And I just att- I attended Impact's Victory Road in September live, and that vibe that you had watching TNA on television 10, 15 years ago, it's back, and it's real, and it's 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 buzzing, and it's really coming into its own. Um, another match that might not be, uh, you know, the, the best match you'll ever see, but you want to see a solid main event match between two former world champions, Steve Macklin versus Josh Alexander from victory road was one of the more entertaining matches I've seen in person. And, and that's saying a lot again, someone who's been watching this for 15 years and been to as many shows as I have really good match. And, uh, if you can check it out, go check it out. At least in my opinion, um, uh, then that's not recency bias. That was four months ago, and I still think it was a great match. Okay, so now we've talked about our favorite matches. Let's go to a little bit more of a different topic. Our favorite shows, pay-per-views uh, of the year. Yeah. So obviously, uh, really, this is um, 
mainly AEW, WWE, and Impact. Uh, New Japan stuff is obviously a little different. You you do have Wrestle Kingdom, uh, which I believe could qualify for that. But you know, weekly TV is so difficult to kind of quantify in this situation. So I'm I'm talking more of uh, uh, you know, the PLEs that we get on a month to month basis in WWE and. Uh, five, six times a year, at least right now in AEW. So I'll go first this time if it's okay with you guys. Um, and three shows that stuck out for me uh, that I really think were just top to bottom, solid, strong, and or amazing. Uh, I'm going to start with WrestleMania, and I'm combining both nights into kind of one general uh, topic here. Uh, this year's WrestleMania was really really good and i i really don't think outside of the ending of that main event on night two that there was any real i was okay john cena austin theory was bad but not really really bad it was a really strong night two nights of wrestling and it's everything that you want wrestlemania to be the biggest stars in the biggest matches in the biggest moments and you really felt like it was all big and had a purpose and meant to be there. And uh, WrestleMania for me was uh, was up there. Uh, pivoting to AEW, uh, I do feel like um, <coughs> uh, Forbidden Door. Uh, and I, I mean, are we surprised that Forbidden Door was uh, amazing? But uh, that main event between Okada and Danielson was just insane i mean you i don't remember ever paying to watch a pay-per-view i don't remember the last time i paid to watch one before that night and i i paid to watch forbidden door first of all start to finish the entire card was fantastic and they had some amazing matches uh but yeah of course you have to talk about okada danielson and I am so excited for their rematch at Wrestle Kingdom in a couple of weeks. I just pray to God that Danielson doesn't get hurt before he gets there because he still has to have his match with Claudio on Saturday. But uh, and potentially, if he if he wins the block, he's gonna have to have at least a semifinal and final match for the Continental Classic. But uh, I, I I just hope for everyone's sake that you, if you can watch oh, Danielson Okada two, go do it. I mean it's it's incredible and and anyone who who doesn't like that match? I don't know how you can't. It, it's a technical masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, and then the third show that comes to mind, and this one was a little bit. Um, I want to. I don't want to say surprising, but uh, you know, really, really strong night of action. And uh, I'm talking about the uh, uh, backlash back in Puerto Rico, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, main, not main evented, but main match that you can recall was Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest. And that was just a really fun match, and I think that really helped the show shine. And uh, obviously having a, a red-hot Puerto Rico crowd on hand helped. So those three shows for me were some of the better ones of the year. Uh, but now I'm going to turn it over to Adam first this time. Adam, what are some of your favorite shows of the year? Um, I think my favorite show, at least pay-per-view-wise, of the year has to be the Royal Rumble 2023. And if you know anything about me, I am an absolute sucker for Royal Rumble matches, especially ones that are really good. And both Rumbles this year were just simply fantastic. I would actually refer the Men's Royal Rumble as like a textbook example of how to book a Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? It was that good. And it's not even like 
and that's not saying we'd like to like you know crap on anything else um, throughout the year. It's just that this event really just set the pace for the rest of the year, and that's something to be said, especially when you factor in the main event of Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens, a match that we have seen a lot before, especially even within the, the Roman's reign itself. No pun intended, but you know, it's just it was just a really good event, it's, even if some of the matches, you know. Not not to diss the late great Bray Wyatt, but the Mountain Dew match was a bit questionable. But you know, even all the non-title matches on that card. Let me just pull up the card real quick. Like, you know, you have the two Rumbles that were really good. You had Bianca Belair versus Alexa Bliss, which was very solid, even for short. And just all all around, it just set the precedence for just a fantastic year. And I think if you like where almost like I do, the twenty twenty three one will definitely rank high on your list. <clears throat> yeah, Adam, no. I kind of find it funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Fred. No, 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 no. I, I was just going to transition, but go ahead, Evan. I I find it funny you mentioned this year's men's rumble as a textbook example when there was only twenty nine people that competed this year because Rey Mysterio never made it to the ring. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna look. Look, it's not the I first time that it's happened. Sick. You know, in 2005 <laughs> it's happened. In 2008 it happens, man. You know how it is. Yeah, Finley Would you say in. he's still going like Curtis Axel? <laughs> um, I would say no because once the bell rings they announce the winner, um, then it's over. Because even if you want to like use that card in 1995, they didn't announce the British Bulldog as the winner even if they rang the bell, started steam, started playing. You know, when Michaels won... They announced him as the winner. They never announced it. So as soon as I hear the ring announcer say X, Y, and Z has won the Rumble, then that's the conclusive end to that match. All right. Fair enough. Remember, yeah, I mean, that, that, like yeah, he's, he did make a good point. We've seen it happen with Spike Dudley. I think it happened once with Scotty Tuhati. Happened with uh, Hornswoggle mm-hmm. in 2008. Um, you know, Curtis Axel in 2015. So it's not an uncommon occurrence. And... Uh, you know, uh, even uh, 2011 with uh, Santino Marella and notable prick Alberto Del Rio. I mean, of course, you know, Del Rio thought he won and then Santino was still in it. And everyone was like for a hot second there that Santino Marella was going to win the Royal Rumble match and go to WrestleMania face Edge for the World Heavyweight title. But, uh, yeah, it, the misdirection's been there. Not, not, to devi- not to deviate. Yeah, not to deviate. But have you all seen the photo of notable prick Del Rio at an indie show? Right where he belongs, he can rot in hell. The video, the video of him entering to like there's only like twenty people in the audience. Yeah, I've seen that. Twenty people and like ten of them are on their phone. He's right where he belongs. Anyway, uh, moving along. So, uh, Evan, Evan, what do you got on this one? All right, favorite shows this year. I was going to say WrestleMania 39 this year has. A lot of great matches on that card. I mean, there's going back to Gunther and the triple threat match. The both made event matches I thought were really great. The women's match with Charlotte. I I think this year though, not that this is a good thing. I've noticed this year if they've started really picking up on the advertising advertising a lot more. Because I remember thinking how strange it was that Dominic Mysterio versus Rey Mysterio was a um, a cinnamon toast crunch match with like the little square dude at the ringside, all the 
um, barricade was cinnamon toast crunch. That was very strange. And I'm not huge on that trend right now, but I'm seeing that it might just get worse. Now that trend needs to die. I can't stand the, uh, for example, so I'll, I'll call back to WrestleMania 39 as well. I mean, the cinnamon toast crunch one is bad. And you wouldn't think it'd be that obnoxious, but the TurboTax with like the bright blue banner and the red dot, um, it just like, it's so distracting. It almost takes away from the in-ring action that you're supposed to be enjoying. Agreed. Yeah. Or how about the they war games? They wanted to do like advertising. They, they could do like UFC. You know what I mean? Put it on the yeah, map. See how like they're all like the ring, you know, decked out. I've seen reports, I think, that the the mat is supposed to like maybe start having some advertising on there. See, too. that's fine. I don't I'm care cool about that. that. I mean that that because that's not distracting to the eye, but I mean, how about the Ruffles War Games match? I mean, the the literally had an online Ruffles vote to determine the women's War Games advantage. Like, that's not how the War Games advantage is determined. It's supposed to be a ladder match, but anyway, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. I have to continue. I'm I'm just glad it hasn't gone as far as the pitch black match. Like. <sighs> I love Mountain Dew Pitch Black, great flavor. Not as good of a match, if you can and, even call it a match. And I, I just watched a video today on like part, a match time. On parts of unknown, I watched a video today um, talking about the 13 worst matches of 2023, and and I didn't realize this. I, mean, I thought there was more after it before he had to take the hiatus. Uh, that was Bray Wyatt's last match, and that makes me so sad. That his last match was so poorly received and so going to be so fondly remembered as a dud. Bray was so brilliant, and I, it just really made me sad to hear that that was his final ever wrestling match because it was just wasn't not- it just his last televised match, if I'm not mistaken? I thought he wrestled L.A. Knight on a house show. And May- that I mean, was it, but maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe he did. The video, I believe, claimed it to be his last match ever, but I, I, I could be wrong. Uh, they could have been wrong too, but even still. Uh, if it's his last thing that people saw on television that he did in the ring, it's, it's no better, unfortunately. Was this year the year they were building up to Bobby Lashley versus Bray? Yeah, at Mania? yes, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, poor guy. Yeah, right. yeah. No, I, I, I honestly only got Mania to highlight. Um, hmm. I mean, I think every show this year. I mean, they had their duds, but Mania is what really stood out to me the most this year. Austin, I'll throw it to you. I just wanted to point out really quickly that Bray Wyatt had seven either dark matches on SmackDown or uh, house show matches after that pitch black match at the Royal Rumble. So that was not his last match, but it was definitely his last televised match for sure. Makes me feel Um, a little better. The the point remains all the same. Yeah, makes me feel a little better, but unfortunately not by much. No, I know. Um, so yeah, um, uh, Evan. Before we, before Austin gives his, uh, Evan, your point there about you know this year had some duds. I really wanted to just say overall, I think that this year's product, and I'm not just saying in one company, but overall, has been really, really good. You know, uncharacteristically consistent and well, well done, well received. Like it's just, it's been a great year. Obviously, every show has their dud match, and maybe not every show is as great as the last or the next, but, I mean, WWE chugged along and had some really consistent shows there where, you know, they learned finally that less is more. They're not jamming 10 matches onto every single pay-per-view. 
six or seven's all you need for a three-hour show, and they're giving the, these guys more time. The matches can breathe a little bit more, and you really feel like every match has a purpose on the card. And if you're not on the card, that means that you need to work hard to get back there. And I feel like they're really restoring the importance of being on pay-per-view rather than just saying, well, I want to see everybody get a little extra payday for WrestleMania, so I'm going to have the Andre the Giant, you know what, Battle Royal, and have 75 guys in there just so that they all get a little sliver of the pie. You know, it's like, it's a great concept. It's, a, it's, it's nice to try and get them the payday, but you want the best matches to be on the, best, on the biggest shows. And uh, this year really felt a lot better towards that in my opinion uh austin you're up now what are uh, your favorite shows of the year well just speaking to that point really quick and adam can agree with me battle royals are still pretty fun and i would like them to read like to restart those wrestlemania battle royals at some point but considering that there's like a two-hour uh pre-show with zero matches on it they could just go on there they do not need to be on the main card that's for sure but you know, especially because a lot of the wrestlers have talked about, like, even just being in that battle royal for 30 seconds, that's still their biggest payday of the year just because they get to they have to show up. And, you know, so it's really good for the talent as well to have those battle royals. But absolutely, it can just go on the pre-show. There's two hours of pre-show with zero matches. There's no excuse. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because that's uh, could be beneficial. Anyways, um I'm still, like I said earlier, I'm still really working through my um, end of the year binge, which includes rewatching all of the pay-per-views from uh, WWE, Impact, AEW, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm still working on that, and I don't really have a definitive answer to this question. So instead, I'll take my time really quickly to highlight how cool it is that um, WWE has been branching out a lot more with their locations for these premium live events. Um so other than just going to Saudi Arabia when they're going international, they've been to San Juan, Puerto Rico. They've been to London. They've been to Montreal. And you can really tell um, from the environment in these arenas during these matches and during these events that these crowds, they realize how special it is that they're getting this event and they're giving it their all. Um, I mean, Bad Bunny's entrance just pick out one thing in particular the greatest entrance I mean, ever seen. every person was on their feet rocking with that song and um i know freddie you love this moment so much and you're right like it's going to be like looked back upon as like a top moment of the decade and i i do stand by that i know i had the hot take a few months ago in the in the club chat where i said that this could be the greatest entrance of the decade and i still stand by that um through the first four full years of the decade but uh we'll we'll see we'll see for sure but um and and, you know you're talking about them branching out i mean like you in this year alone like you said montreal london and uh san juan puerto rico uh, in addition to the saudi shows uh to just to name a few but think about in 2022 they went to cardiff wales for the first time for a pay-per-view clash the castle which was their best show of 2022 uh where you had uh mcintyre reigns and gunther and sheamus won uh, and, you know, a wonderful show. And then looking ahead to 2024, and they've already booked two massive shows in new countries that they haven't been to for PLEs before. They're going to have uh, Backlash is going to be in France, and that's going to be a huge moment for France, and I'm looking forward to that crowd. And then they're going to have Bash in Berlin, I believe it's called, in Germany in August after SummerSlam. So two 
uh, really big shows coming to uh, new countries. And uh, like you said, they're branching out. These countries that know that they're not going to get these PLEs every year, they're giving it their all. <clears throat> because, you know, of course, WWE is still going to hit their main, st- their, their main places. Chicago, L.A., you know. But it's nice to know that we're not going to be getting fast lane emanating from some random arena in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, it's like no offense to Lincoln, Nebraska, but nobody is paying to watch a pay-per-view from Lincoln, Nebraska. They're going to pay to watch 60,000 people in France or in Germany or in London screaming their heads off uh, for two nights on SmackDown and then on the pay-per-view. So, you know, a lot of good there. <clears throat> okay, so the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, um, you know, for recapping 2023 uh, just who do we think going into 2024 uh, was underutilized this past year, but also has a bright future ahead of them? So kind of a two-for-one kind of a question there. Um, so what do we think uh, on that respect? I'll go back to you, Austin, for this one. What do you think? Uh, underutilized. Well, I think uh, underutilized and having a good year in 2024 is tough. Um, I'll say underutilized and I hope has a good year in 2024, which is a pick people might not expect is Bronson Reed. Um, you know, he's kind of been floating in the mid card scene on raw for the past year. Um, really just trying to get up to that next level. Eventually, you know, he got his match with Gunther and it was good and all that, but He was unsuccessful, and I already feel like he's starting to fall back down the card a little bit. But um, just watching how impressive he is for his size and what he can do in the ring and, you know, who he could be if they really decided to, like, put him in a much bigger feud, I feel like he could really excel for sure. Um, So I feel like he could be a lot better utilized um, in that regard. Um Let's see. I think for bright futures ahead in 2024, not necessarily underutilized. I would say the Creed brothers for sure. And you're already starting to see that they are gaining in a, a massive amount of fans um, just with their appearances on Raw. Um, I don't even think they've, be, they've been on a premium live event yet. And already, yeah. you know, there's talks of them being the next tag team champions. I genuinely thought that they had a shot at it uh, this past Monday on Raw of pulling a huge upset win and becoming tag team champions so young, uh, so early on into their main roster career just because of how good they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a prediction, it's a spoiler. I do believe they will be tag team champions by the end of 2024 um, just because of how good they are and how in demand they will be going forward. Our resident wise man with a hot take, but not so hot. Because I agree, I think, <clears throat> from, um, for both of those takes. Bronson Reed definitely um, still has a ways to go with his character, but I think that he's got a lot of potential, and his in-ring work is very good for a guy his size. Uh, the Creed brothers, uh, I think we could all agree, they're absolutely fantastic. And my only critique is that that Brutus ball looks like it might kill someone eventually, so they might need to tidy that up a little bit. But besides that, Julius is an insane specimen, and I think the two of them are, are destined for stardom for sure. Evan, what do you? Who do you think might have been underutilized this year? And then, in turn, who might you think is going to be a bright star coming forward in twenty twenty four? Answer both questions in one. Chelsea Green, <laughs> or however Samantha says it. 
I think she has been phenomenal since she came back. Was it in the Rumble this year yeah. that she came back? Yeah. Yep. Yes, she came back in the Rumble. And her character work has been so great. I think it's a shame that it's been wasted on the tag division for as long as it has. Curved tag division. I'm glad the belts, I'm glad the championships are off Hyper and Chelsea now because I, I have big plans. Well, I don't have big plans. I hope WWE has big plans for Chelsea Green because she is a bright star. She's going to have such a great year next year. I know it. I know she's going to be Miss Money in the Bank for sure. If Tiffany, I don't think they'll go as far as having her win the Royal Rumble this year, but no, yeah, she'll definitely get Money in the Bank. Uh, ba- Bailey's winning the Rumble this year, and I stand by that. She's winning the Rumble and facing Io Sky at WrestleMania. I think that's pretty easy to see. Um, but uh, I thought it was yeah, going to be Liv Morgan. But... Well, Liv, Liv Morgan's I... an option, but I, I think it, I think it makes most sense to have it be Bailey. Bailey versus Io. Damage control turns on Bailey and. Bailey turns babyface again. This time, much more, you know, serious than just hugging and Bailey buddies and all that. Uh, but like a, a real babyface run now, I feel like is perfect for her. But, but wouldn't it be funny mm-hmm. if she, like she turned face and just went back to like NXT type Bailey? That'd be very funny to see. Even if it would be unideal, it would be, be such funny. a massive step back for her after all the hard work she's put in these last four or five years. Uh Anyway, and the other sorry, I have one, yeah, two go, more go, people please. that are underutilized, very underutilized this year. What have Alba Fire and Isla Dawn since they've yes, what have they oh done God. since they've come to the main roster? Lost to Ronda Rousey and Shannon Baszler for no fucking reason. I am so oh, in agreement with you on this take. I love them I so mean, much. What else you, have they done I'm with you, man? And I've been just are, low key. Phenomenal talent, and the way the way they are being wasted is such a shame. But honestly, the women's tag team division is just a mess in general. Like everybody knows that. But I have this high hope now that now that Kaden Carter and Katana Chance, now that they're the champions, I really feel like this is going to be like a renaissance now for the for the women's tag team division and i'm really hoping it starts with alba fire and isla dawn coming back i think that the reset button needs to be pushed and if i trust anybody with it it's triple h i mean he has shown he has the ability to restore prestige and prominence of championships that previously have fallen by the wayside just be by some video packages and some proper booking i mean look at what he and gunther have done for the intercontinental championship since he took over the reins a couple of years ago that title has meant more since Gunther's held it and in Triple H's time behind the pencil than it has in 15, 20 years at the least. And you're then talking about the United States title, which has had a little bit more sporadic, sporadic with uh, theories run, but Logan Paul's the champ now, and he's going to bring more eyes to it. This tournament's already impressing me. Carmelo Hayes could be in line for a, cha- a championship opportunity at the Royal Rumble, which we haven't talked about Carmelo Hayes in this video, but we stand a guy who is as good as Carmelo Hayes because Melo don't miss. And uh, I also... Uh, you're going to give me a little bit of a hint for my 2024 breakout star, but we're going to go to Adam first before we get to that. So, Adam, uh, who do you got? Bre- uh, breakout star for 2024 and or someone who you felt was underutilized in 2023? Okay. Uh, for my underutilized person, I feel like it it has to be Bobby Lashley. Like, what has this man done this year? He feuded with Brock and won the Andre Memorial, and then he decided to fuck off for a couple months. 
You know, and I feel like, you know, especially with this new stable with the Street Profits, it hasn't really kicked into a higher gear yet. And I feel like 2024 is going to be the year where, like, you know, Lasha kind of just reminds everybody. Granted, he's not my breakout star of the year. He's just my most underutilized for 2023. But when it comes for the 2024 breakout star of the year, um, we're just going to have to shift over to, like, New Japan. Um, it, it, and I feel like it's going to be, like, Shota Umino. You know what I mean? Because he came back from excursion this year and it's kind of just been, you know, just been floating around trying to, like, get his identity straight. But even the management is very high on him and he almost got out of the G1 block. But Shota Umino is going to be the next ace of New Japan. Like, once Okada decides, you know, he can't run at the same pace anymore, the only logical next step is Shota Umino. And I think 2024 is going to be the year where he showcases to people that, hey, I'm here and and I'm going to run shit in a couple of years. So you better just, you know, watch out. Yeah, I agree, um, especially with uh, Bobby. I mean, that this new stable has no identity whatsoever, and it's a shame because I was super excited for it at first. So hopefully they, they straighten that out. And uh, I'm not uh, too familiar with uh, Shoto Unima, but, hey, you're our resident specialist on the uh, all things New Japan, so very much... Uh, Excited to see what he could do. If he's got some good work coming, I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, so for me, uh, when it comes to underutilized, um, mine is actually a, a tag team uh, and in the likes of uh, DIY, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Now, I know Ciampa was hurt uh, for a bit, and then he came back, and then Gargano was out for whatever reason. Um, but I, I just feel like... These are two Triple H guys through and through, and you kind of just – I expected them to have a prominent role. Now, I was huge fans of theirs in NXT, and I know the casual main roster viewer who wasn't a big NXT fan back in their black and gold days isn't going to be as familiar with their work, but they naturally got over in NXT because of the charisma and the talent that they have and the ability to just put on great matches with you know anybody. And I feel like you need to get back to the basics with them. Build them up slow. you know, Work hard on, on displaying their – in-ring prowess and capability, um, and also the characters that they are, you know, and especially Johnny being this wholesome guy who's just, he loves wrestling, and, and this is his this is his favorite thing to do, and I feel like that they can really take that a long way, uh, and I do think that DIY will be tag team champions sooner rather than later, although they're not my breakout stars for 2024, because my breakout star choice for 2024, and I'm going to go in the, uh, I'm not going to do it like Booker T., but I'm going to say it uh, as best I can. Whoop that trick. Trick Williams is a star in the making, and man, you can't deny that that man has the it factor. If Carmelo Hayes is the next guy, Trick Williams is going to be right there by his side for the next 15 years because in the last few months, Trick Williams went from Carmelo Hayes' sidekick to a world championship contender at New Year's Evil against Ilya Dragunov. He is the most over guy in NXT. He gets everybody hyped. His character is very easy to transition to the main roster when the time comes. And people will get behind him because he is believable. He's the underdog. He's the guy that you want to see succeed. And I'm looking forward to NXT champion Trick Williams come New Year's uh, New Year's 2024. Not saying he wins it at New Year's Evil, but in 2024, Trick Williams will be the NXT champion. That's not a prediction. That is a spoiler. Yeah, I'd He's like to think... James, bitch. 
I'd like to think Trick Williams is probably going to win it by summertime. Yeah. Um, if the story runs the course like I think it's going to right now, I believe we're getting a triple threat at Vengeance Day with Ilya, um, Carmelo, and Trick all vying for the title, and then Ilya will retain again. Um, I don't know who he'll defend at against at Stand and Deliver. Maybe Dijak. Um, but that's Stand and Deliver is where we'll get the big payoff match between Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. Um, and once Trick Williams uh, beats Hayes and Hayes has his send-off to finally join the main roster as a permanent part of uh, Raw and or SmackDown, um, he'll be able to focus on becoming his own man, well, like he already has, I guess, and win the NXT championship, I'm sure of it. And uh, speaking of NXT, I got to give one guy a little credit, and you guys are never going to believe who I'm about to give credit to. Uh, for having a really, really strong run in NXT these last few months. I <sighs> can't believe I'm admitting it, but Baron Corbin has been really good these last few months, and he's really shown some glimpses of the guy that everybody saw in 2015-16 when he was coming up and who he could have been and who he should have been and not what he became for those four or five years of uh, godforsaken monotony that he just provided this constant, incessant, boring, dull tone in my ear. Um, but he's, he's been good and I, I can't deny it and, uh, mm-hmm. hope for more of it in 2024 and maybe they'll actually continue mm-hmm. to change my mind on him. I'm going to make sure I record that for next year's <laughs> podcast. Right. So that you can throw it back in my face when he wins the NXT title and I have to suck it up and deal with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, any other thoughts on, uh, 2023 as a whole before we wrap this baby up? Is it good or bad that we haven't talked about CM Punk? Good. Good, yeah. (laughs) All right, let's leave it at that then. I think that CM Punk's 2023 has been controversial, and I don't think it's worth talking about. I think his 2024 will dictate. um, I hope hope we can talk about him in 2024 if we do another episode like Mm -hmm. this, because I really want to be able to say good things about him. Um, but I will say that I am now starting to see, I don't think it was a lot of his fault in AEW. I think he was being provoked by certain members of their roster and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of being, uh, forced out in a way by a certain Jack Perry. Yeah. I I think for the sake of brevity, um, with a, the way AEW runs their company, granted, I don't, you know, obviously I don't run a business, but it seems like. It's too tense. You know what I mean? If you don't cert- a certain narrative, you're not going to be, do well there. And I feel like Punk was there because, you know, he was paid a lot and it does numbers. And that's all fine and dandy. But, you know, it it isn't like him, you know? Like, it, it's too it, – it, when you're a company who's one of their telltale, like, you know, marketing points is, hey – we're not WWE, and I feel like that just sets the ground for just a lot more just toxicity, and that's really just not good to have in a company, regardless of success. Yeah, I think with Punk, um, you know, obviously I, I'm, Austin's take is something I, I agree with a lot. Um, you know, when you look at it blindly from the point of when he was fired uh, in September, you start wondering what it was and how serious of a situation was it. And, you know, TK had his, his public comments about fearing for his life and whatnot. And regardless of whatever was the case, 
maybe Punk not being there is the best thing for everybody. Better for AEW and their future success because now they can focus on the in-ring product and not have a distraction backstage. Better for the guys and girls in the locker room at AEW because now if there was some tense feeling with Punk around or in general, maybe there's less of it now. And it's better for Punk because aside from all the drama that happened in his first WWE run, I think we can all agree that WWE has kind of always felt like CM Punk's home. CM Punk seems like the kind of guy who's a big fish and he wants to swim in the biggest pond possible. And he was the biggest fish in an AEW pond that had a couple of big ones there, Jericho, Danielson, and Omega, whatever. But he was always the biggest one when he came in. In WWE, he's not the biggest fish by far. He is one of the biggest but he's on par with the likes of Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns and Randy Orton. And so now you're not looking at CM Punk to be your number one guy forever and always. He doesn't have to be the guy who is the only one drawing numbers. There's guys and girls up and down the card drawing numbers. The guys, the guys I just mentioned, plus Gunther, Becky Lynch, Sami Zayn, Rhea Ripley, the entire Judgment Day, Kevin Owens, Logan Paul, I can go on. But now CM Punk has a chance to just be a part of the machine. He doesn't have to be the machine, if that makes sense. And first impressions are everything. The first impressions that I get of him coming back to WWE seem very positive. Being at the Performance Center, talking to talent from what it seems like he's been doing, especially the younger talent, that's where Punk's strength is going to come. He has a lot he can give the business, both in the ring and out of the ring. We all know that he'll give it in the ring as long as he can. Because he's, he's still good at what he does. He's not the best in the world anymore, but he's still good at what he does. But if he can start giving back behind the scenes, that's where his strengths will come as they go. And I really hope that a year from now we can look back on 2024 as a banner year for Punk, having great matches with a lot of different guys and developing into a really reliable, and loved backstage hand learning how to pass on to the next generation. That's what I'm hoping for, and I think that that's what we can leave it at because this situation seems like best-case scenario for everybody, and WWE makes more money. AEW can still do their thing and hopefully make money without with less drama, and you know, even if the eyes are away, you know, I don't know how many eyes are leaving because of CM Punk leaving, but we'll have to see, you know? Well, that'll do it for us today, I think, guys. You guys got anything else? We didn't even get to talk about the Continental Classic. Um, wow, probably one of my favorite parts of AEW, but maybe we can leave that for another episode once we know who's won. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm down. We, we can come back on right after the new year. Uh, World's End will come and go, and uh, you know we'll definitely be able to talk about the Continental Classic and you know the bright stars who come out of it. I mean, we're looking at it on paper, uh, it's been a real coming out for Swerve Strickland, as we've said, um, but also Andrade El Idolo, Brody King, uh, Eddie Kingston, Claudio Castagnoli, and of course Moxley and Danielson, Jay White. You know, just so many guys who are really getting to display their talent. Even Roosh. Roosh is having a great tournament, and it's on the low. Man still has a chance to win the whole thing. I don't think he will, but, you know, the finals seem like it's pointing to Moxley, Danielson 3, but still, maybe there's an upset somewhere. And this week on Dynamite, if you're going to tune in tomorrow night when this comes out Wednesday the 20th, Jay White versus John Moxley. I don't think I need to say more than that. Go take it. Go check it out because it's going to be freaking awesome. 
but yeah, Continental Classic is definitely something I want to circle back to in the new year. So you boys are always welcome back on to talk about it. Uh, Adam, I know you're not a big uh, AEW guy, but um, the Continental Classic is uh, no BS. It's just great wrestling and solid action. So if you're looking to check something out, I would recommend that. I think Austin can cooperate. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I actually have been keeping up with the Continental Classic. Oh, because okay. I, I like the format. And if if you don't mind me just you know yeah. giving my little criticisms is the the G that that they base it off of is is that it's supposed to be unpredictable. I feel like with the Continental Classic, my biggest criticisms is like there isn't that many of those big upsets that you would see traditionally within the G one, right? Like for instance, like I'm I'm looking at the leagues right now. There's no reason John Moxley should have not lost a match yet. You know, there's no reason like here, here's a good one. Daniel Garcia is at zero points. Why? You know, like I feel like if you're trying to uh, like, uh, do a round robin, you have to be predictable. There shouldn't be a clear cut winner, even if if you look at it from like a smart perspective, there should be. Right. Because that's how New Japan does it. And that's how New Japan thrives. And, you know, there isn't really any uncertainty on who's going to win. Like, like there isn't any like uncertainty right whereas like you know if you're going to run around that's why i think wwe should never run a a run a round robin because they're not going to take those risks like new japan does and like i don't know maybe i'm just too hypercritical on this but just taking a cursory glance at it it's like like it's kind of easy to predict and and you know predictability only works when you know the outcome is superb and i don't really see a really superb outcome for this i i will that's just say, my little criticisms no no i see your point and i i will i will say that um i i don't think moxley needed to be in the tournament honestly um no but you know i i see why i on the other hand too moxley's their biggest name probably right now um and Moxley has experience in New Japan and he has experience with the style that they're trying to emulate. So trying to pass some yeah, of that but along. Same, but same with Jay White. Jay no, White uh, and Roosh have both yeah, been in G1. Jay White and Roosh. And I, and I know Dan, this was built for Danielson. So this is, and, and Eddie Kingston was in this year's G1. So, you know, there's a lot of guys who have that experience. I don't really know what the process was there. I feel like Moxley shouldn't have been in. They could have put another guy in that, in that block. And then that swerves block to win. And then there you go. There's your guy right there. You're making a, a star out of Swerve Strickland by winning the Continental Classic. I mean that that's the way I would do it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm if I'm AEW, I'm booking Swerve to beat Mox the other night, not Mox to go over and now have Mox potentially going undefeated. Now I mean I feel like Jay White is the biggest threat to him, and if anybody's going to beat Mox, it will be Jay White. That match will be unpredictable. I mean, Jay White has beaten Moxley before. Exactly. Um, Moxley and White are one zero. With White, do you have an advantage? But like I don't know. The thing is, I can see how this is going to go. Moxley's going to beat White. Swerve's going to beat Roosh. And then, you know, the semifinals, Swerve's going to get his win back, and then Swerve's going to win the tournament. It's like it's it's booking 101. You see, you see this all the time. And I feel like that's one of the biggest problems I have with AEW is that it gets very, very predictable. You know? like And, and, like, and that's not even just an AEW-only problem. That's why I've kind of checked out of Roman's reign. You know what I mean? It's, it's just predictable, and I like my wrestling to be unpredictable. That's why I think Gunther's the best wrestler, because even if you think he's going to win, he's going to make it look like he could lose. Hell, he did it last and, night know, with The Miz. Like it, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's, cool to, it's cool to play it safe, 
but not with such high stakes. You know what I mean? So I don't know. None of us mentioned Roman Reigns once when we talked about our top guys of 2023, and this is the top guy of <laughs> WWE right now. None of us even bothered to mention him. How many matches has he worked he, this year? He showed up like what, maybe eight times. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He he's on TV every fourth week. I mean, come on. I, I can't. He, between SummerSlam and Crown Jewel, he missed like eight weeks in a row while John Cena was there every week. Like John Cena was there more than Roman Reigns in 2023. It, it's insane. It's insane. Um, you know, Roman a year ago even would have been in the discussion just because in 2022 Roman still worked just about every major show, but. He doesn't, you know, he worked, uh, he, he worked the first half of the year, you know, just about every PLE. And then after SummerSlam, you didn't see Roman again. He wrestled Crown Jewel and that was it. Came and left. And it feels like the Bloodline story, which was the biggest story in the company, doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> and that's, that's a shame. And now you're just, it's clearly what, it's clear what Roman's title run has become filler and padding of stats to get you to next WrestleMania. Roman's number will be what, 13 or 1400. And Oh, all right. Yeah. Now he can drop it to Cody. Like, come on. Like predictability. Like you said, Adam, but, uh, yeah, Roman, uh, our tribal chief, I still acknowledge him, but man, time to move on from this run. That's my opinion. On to the next with Roman Reigns. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they're trying to break Hulk Hogan's reign at some point, and I, I, I really don't want that to happen. But we're we're getting close. It, I mean, it, I mean, I mean we, at what point do we just like realize that like the world champion of WWE is just Seth Rollins at this point? I already like, I, I know there was like that discussion where it was where it was like, oh, it's like it's just like a like a I guess a secondary to Roman's reign, but like at this point, it's like. It's kind of the inverse, you know, because as a world champion, you kind of want those like weekly appearances to be like, yeah, I'm the top guy. So what? Right. And like if you just come and go as you please, it's kind of like, like, all right, like, why should I care? Think you know? about it this and, like, way. There's an argument to, argument to be made for both. But like, you know, Roman just needs to show up more and then maybe we'd consider it as such. Think about it this way. And to be honest, I am ready. For, I, I am ready for Rollins to drop the title, too, just so he can take a break for his for his health, but I, but the, he's I, been a phenomenal champion. Yeah, I agree, and I think the difference is that Seth is there every week, and he's wrestled on TV every week, and he's facing guys that Roman would never defend the title against. Roman Reigns, no offense, is not defending his title against Shinsuke Nakamura at this stage of the game, and Rollins had two pay-per-view main events with Shinsuke Nakamura for his title. That It goes to show, Nakamura is interested in that title jay uso after everything he went through with roman wanted that title drew mcintyre almost feels like he needs that title now as he's getting towards that so there's a clear cut desire for people to be world heavyweight champion so maybe that is the point roman has the title that everyone's wanted for so long and with him being away it's created an interest in seth's title so that once Roman finally drops that title. Now all of a sudden it's like, well, now we got two hot commodities. Which one do we go for? You know, and it does the opposite effect of what happened in 2002 when Brock Lesnar just took the title to SmackDown and then they just handed Triple H the other one. Seth earned that title. He's earned every defense. He's worked his ass off for almost a year to get this to where it is. 
And Roman has just held the title hostage. And it's the tale of two champions. And coming out of WrestleMania 39, uh, sorry, WrestleMania 40 in, in Philly, I think we're going to have two new world champions and a new era on Raw and SmackDown with CM Punk and Cody Rhodes at the top of WWE. And Reigns and Rollins can finally take their leave. Reigns to do whatever the hell he wants. Rollins just arrest his body and then come back and obviously fit back in where is necessary. But, yeah, that's I, I where I see things going for sure. All right, anyway, uh, we went on for a little longer than planned here, but uh, thank you guys so much for joining us once again on the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. We have a, uh, we'll have this episode up soon, and we're very thankful to uh, all of our listeners once again for another great year. We've been around, uh, I can't believe it, over three, almost four years now since our founding in 2020, so four-year anniversary is coming up, and later, later in 2024, we'll be happy to celebrate with you guys when that comes. Uh, and uh, we'll be back again soon. So for Adam, Austin, and Evan, my name is Freddie, your host with the Hollow French Toast. Thank you once again for joining us, and always remember to never be afraid to be a fan. So long, everyone.